You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. Um, let me, we're, we're in the third week of a series called This Is Life. I'm, I'm Mark Weibel. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I'm the Grow Pastor. And Pastor John has given me the privilege of bringing the word here today. So this is the third series or the third sermon in a, in a series called This Is Life. And I want to just review real quickly what we've kind of looked at from Romans chapter uh, 8 verses 1 to 11. First of all, in the first week we learned that in Jesus there is no condemnation, not now, not ever. We also learned that there are two authorities that are at work in our lives. Um, there's the law of the flesh and there's the law of the spirit. Last week we took a look at the fact that Jesus took our wrath and he gave us his righteousness by the Holy Spirit. And he gives life to our bodies now, our physical bodies. We have life now because of what Jesus did. And then we also looked at and, and, and saw the fact that those without Christ are insensitive to God. They, there's no way they can comprehend God. They, when you talk to them, they just, they're insensitive to the things of God because the Holy Spirit is not in them prompting them. On the converse side of that, those who are in Christ are sensitive to God, that the Spirit of God is in us prompting us to do certain things. So what, we, what we've learned so far is that God has done a great work in setting us free from the law by the Holy Spirit. It brings us to today's passage in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 12. And what I want to let you know is that I, I have uh, some hard news. I have some helpful news. And then I have some hopeful news. And uh, so we're, we're going to look through all of this. We're going to be in Romans 8 chapter 12. <clears throat> he, he begins Romans 8 12 with so then. And that so then is literally a continuation of the thought uh, of the preceding verses. But it's, it's highlighted in verse 11 of Romans 8 where it says that Jesus has given life to our mortal bodies. Uh, there is a reason that you are alive now. There is a, release, there is a reason that you are breathing and, 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 and walking around, exercising, doing all the different things. And that is that God has given a life. He didn't, we're, we're not dead. There is life in our mortal bodies. And because of that, he wants us to understand something. So in ver, Romans 8 verse 12, it says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. And as Pastor John likes to do, I'll stop four words into the verse and let's say, let's, let's dig down just a little bit. We are debtors. Here we go. We got some hard news right here. We're debtors. That, that word debtors literally means one who has not yet made amends to whom he has injured. But further than that, it means one whom God can demand punishment as something due. That's a hard word. We're debtors. I don't like hearing that word that I am a debtor. When someone is a debtor, they are held under the power of the person who holds the debt. And, and that person who holds the debt is the one who gives the terms and conditions of the, the payment or the fulfillment of the debt. And, and so Paul writes and he says, hey, we're debtors. We are debtors. So understand that. First of all, right now, you and I, we're debtors. 
And, and I, he, he goes on to say, we're debtors, and he's very kind. He says, first of all, let me tell you, you're debtors to whom? In verse 12, it says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So he starts out with this, this passage. is, hey, I got, I got some bad news. And the bad news is you're a debtor. The good news is it's not debtor to the flesh. Let me explain what that is. If you were to back up into Romans chapter 7, the whole of Romans chapter 7 talks about this war that is going on in man. And, and Paul uh, says the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then he cries out in verses 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? Who is going to take care of me? Thanks be to God who has given me life in Christ Jesus. You see, this is, this is the, the, the flesh in which this battle is waging war. That flesh, the word flesh, where it says we are not debtors to the flesh, that word flesh literally means the sensuous animal nature of man with its cravings which incite to sin. You know, I don't, I don't think any one of us had to go to school to learn how to sin. In first grade, they didn't do reading, writing, reading, writing arithmetic, and oh, let me tell you how to sin. You know, we learned how to sin from the jump. Because we were in our Adamic nature, we learned how to have sin in our lives. We were born in that. It comes naturally, and it is, it is a natural instinct in man to, the flesh incites us to sin. When there is a choice left to us, our natural inclination in the flesh is to step into sin, to step into revenge and hate and, and you know, just spewing vitriol, just all this stuff. It's a natural reaction. It is something that you don't have to work on and take a course in to say, oh, let me learn how to sin. So we, we understand that he is saying that you are not in debt to this, to this inner drive, this craving of this, the, the, the flesh. If, if those of you who are a little bit older remember Flip Wilson, and he used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, it's our flesh. It's the flesh in us that makes us step into sin. Verse 13, he continues the thought. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You see, here's the thing. There, there is reward for every action. There is a reward for every action. And so if we live according to the flesh, you will die. Well, duh, Mark, every one of us is going to die. Well, let me tell you exactly what this means. When we act continually on this fleshly craving, this natural incitation to sin, that what happens is we do, yes, end up dying the death of natural man, but it's a much deeper implication. The word is a much deeper implication. It gives the picture of trees that dry up or seeds which rot when planted. If you drive around Waco and you see the oak wilt that's going on, have you seen some of the trees that are just getting eaten up by oak wilt? It is just so sad, these beautiful trees. If you look outside, even the magnolia tree right outside here, it is withered up. It is dying. You see, it it, it had so much potential. You look at these trees and you see these trees and you think, oh, there's so much potential. But something has happened. Something has diseased them and they have withered. This is exactly what this talking about. When you live according to the flesh, there is a natural drying up of your being and the seeds that rot. You don't take a a seed and plant it in the ground and go, gee, I sure hope this thing um, rots in the ground. You say, no, I hope it dies and resurrects into corn or green beans or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're planting, this seed that is in the ground. But, but this, this scripture simply says, if you, if you live according to the flesh, 
then what's going to happen is it's going to rot. But it not only is that, it then goes on to say, and you will be subject to eternal misery in hell with eternal death. So this, this word has implications. If you sow according to the flesh, it has implications in the here and now, and it has implications in eternity. It's summed up by simply saying, living by the flesh, your existence here will be one of dying, withering, rotting until you die. And then you'll keep on dying eternally in hell. Well, that just sounds like a really wonderful, how many of us want that? You know, it's just like, well, duh, nobody would want that. So why is there a struggle? What is going on? You see, if we, if we are not in debt to the flesh, if God has delivered us from that, why is there a struggle? You see, original sin made everyone debtors to the enemy when they were born. 1 John five nineteen says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What the devil does is the devil convinces us to trade long-term reward for short-term pleasure. Hebrews 11.25 tells us, it says, talks about Moses who forsook the passing pleasure of sin. Scripture is very clear. It says, there is pleasure in sin. And I will tell you that when you step into sin, whether it is sexual sin or whether it is revenge or whether it is gossip or whatever it is, whatever sin you step into, there is momentary pleasure. There is something that just feels so good in the flesh, but the end of the end result, the end result is just a withering and a dying. It's it's highlighted in Hebrews 12, verse 16, talks about Esau, who who took his birthright. And the birthright was he was the firstborn son, and he had all the rights of being the firstborn son. Very, very envious place to be, very great place to be. You're set for life. And he came in from the field one day, and he walks up, and he's a little bit hungry. And he looks at his brother, his brother making some chicken noodle soup. And he says, let me trade you. And he says, okay, what do you got to trade? He says, I want your birthright. I want all of the rights for you for firstborn for one bowl of soup. And he goes, hey, sounds like a deal to me. And he trades, he sees the short-term satisfaction of indulgence of the flesh, and he yields the long-term implications. And this is what the enemy does. That's why there is a fight going on inside of us, because the enemy entices us with this short-term pleasure. And we think, oh, gee, I can step into this, and then I can, I can handle it. I can do all this. You see, living by the flesh... You will have moments of pleasure. I'm gonna, I will admit that. You will have moments of pleasure, but there will be an eternity of dying, not just eternally, but here withering. There's a withering. There's a rotting that's going on inside of you. So that's the hard news to listen to. But here's the good thing is that Paul says, well, lest you get too down, let's, let's understand who are we then if we're not debtors to the flesh? Who are we debtors to? John covered this in week one. If you back up to Romans 8 verse 3 and following it says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled filled in us. Here's the deal. You see, God has said, if you will receive me, I will take that debtor at the debt out. You will no longer be a debtor to the flesh and I will give you my life. This is what I will give this. You now have become a debtor to me. So we are debtors not to the flesh, but we are debtors to God who freed us. 
So let's look at some helpful information then. Being a debtor requires an action of some kind. You see, I told you that when we are debtors, that you have to live according to the terms of the agreement of the, to, to, when you sign up for the debt. Well, here is, here is God, and he is saying, hey, I've traded my son's life for you, and I have, you have now become a debtor to me, verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here is a, an, an action and a reward. If by the Spirit you put to death, God says, debtor, look here, I, I, here is my term of agreement. Here is what you owe me. What I want you to do is I want you to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You, inside yourself, put to death the deeds of the flesh. To putting, that putting to death literally means to render extinct. To be liberated from the bond that holds you. When, when, we, when we do this, God liberates us. God sets us free from the bond that has its hold on you. When we act like this, when we do this, when we live up to the requirements, when we take these actions, then God rewards. What does he reward? I'm glad you asked. Romans 8.13, it says, when you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is a juxtaposition. If you sow, if you do the deeds of the flesh, you're going to die. Now, progressively throughout all of your life, withering. Or if you are a debtor to me, you will have life. You will live. That word live literally means this, to enjoy real life. Now get this. Get this, brothers and sisters. To enjoy real life worthy of the name of Jesus. To be active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. Now and eternally, full of vigor, fresh, strong and efficient. There will be living water inside of you, which Jesus referred to in John 7 verse 38 when he said, call unto me and I will give you living water springing up within inside of you. Uh, that, that there is a river of living water that comes out of us and it rejuvenates the soul. That is the life that God has for us and he gives us the choice. He says, you want to be a debtor to the flesh? If you want to stay in your sin, there's withering, dying, rotting and then there is eternal hell. However, if you will come to me and you will Will take my be my debtor and you will put yourself under me and then you will begin to put to death the deeds of the flesh then let me tell you what i'm going to give you life life worthy of the name of jesus life endless in the kingdom now and eternally it is going to be living water it is going to be rejuvenating to the soul that is the life that god has for us and that is the life that this world is dying to see right now brothers and sisters The world is crying out, is there anybody that has real life? You see, I've traded this stuff and I've had the little joyful moments of pleasures of sin, but it's begun to rot me and I don't know what to do. Oh God, help. And God is saying, hey, look to the Christians. Christians, you have this rejuvenating life inside of you. The world needs to see this. But the putting to death of the deeds of the flesh can only be accomplished by one thing. By the Spirit. Notice that it says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried to defeat the deeds of the flesh on your own? (laughs) You ever tried? I'm going to do this. I'm going to defeat the flesh. I I will tell you, it is impossible. Personally, just being vulnerable. Personally, there was a besetting sin in my life when I was in college. I was leading Bible studies. I was being a witness on the sports team. I was leading people to Christ. I was doing all of this stuff. But when I would go home and I would go to bed at night, 
And I would lie in my dorm room and it, my sin would come and I would go, oh God, I, I, I'm so sorry. Oh God, I don't want to do this anymore. And I would take a t- piece of athletic tape and I'd write the time and date that I quit this sin. I'm not going to do this sin anymore. And I'd write the time and date and I'd tear it off and I'd put it on my refrigerator. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm strong enough. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then a day later, I'd take another piece of tape and I'd write it on there and say, man, I'd put it up there. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then a day later, I'd take another piece. And I covered my refrigerator two times in my flesh saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. You see, I wanted to defeat it on my own. And it was not until I came to a point where I was willing to admit and submit that I could not do it on my own, that it had to be the Spirit of God, and that I had to do it in community. Let me tell you, you will not get free on your own. You must be in community. There is a, That's why we do connection groups. That's why we had a God puts us in relationship. You need relationship to be able to defeat the sin of the flesh but you have to have the spirit of God you'll never do it on your own it's always done by the spirit in community so what are the deeds of the flesh that we got to put to death Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 then following says this now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries your your uh, version may say disputes dissensions divisions or factions envy drunkenness orgies and things like this i warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god let me tell you I grew up a good Baptist. I grew up a good Baptist and boy we didn't we talked all about sexual immorality and drunkenness and parties we don't smoke, we don't chew, don't run around with those that do, all that good stuff. You know what I mean? That, that was what we did. And so we said, okay, we're, I'm, I'm good. But you know what? Nobody ever talked about jealousy and strife and envying and disputes and anger. I don't know if you're like me or not, but uh, I don't have to look past just a few days ago. <laughs> I can look into last week and go, yep, okay, whoop, there was some anger there. Whoop, yeah, there was some whoop. We tend to concentrate on the biggies. I'm not being sexually immoral. I'm not getting drunk. And we give ourselves a pass on some of these other things, divisions, rivalries. You know what? All I want to do is I want to get on your social media and I want to see what you're posting. Anybody angry over the division in our land today? Anybody part of the division in our land today? Anybody angry at a Democrat or a Republican? Anybody angry at a political candidate? Anybody angry at this, that, or the other? Anybody stepping into this hurtful uh, gossip? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she, anybody doing that? If so, you know what? This is the very thing that God said, no, 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 no. I'm calling you to account. You are debtor to me. You are to put those things to death. And that word death, putting it to death literally means to eradicate it, make it extinct, make it like a dinosaur. You can put it up in a museum and go, yeah, I once was that, but then no more. It's not to be around anymore. I warn you that those who participate in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God wants all of them dead. 
Verse 14 in Romans 8 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. To be led literally means, that word led by the Spirit literally means being led by accompanying, by taking hold of and thus bringing you to a destination. And what God has said is, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. When you put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Holy Spirit, I am giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come alongside you. I know it's a struggle. I know you struggle with anger. I know you struggle with perversion. I know you struggle with A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. I know you struggle with that. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to inject the Holy Spirit. Then I'm going to let the Holy Spirit come along. And the Holy Spirit is going to take his hands. He's going to put himself in in not only leading you, but he is taking hold of you. And he is bringing you to the destination of purity and holiness. That's what our God is saying. God is saying when the spirit of God is with you, he just doesn't walk out in front and go, come along. He comes inside and he lays hold of us and he says, I will bring you to the destination. As a child of God, the spirit accompanies us in every one of our struggles as we fight against the flesh. Being led by the spirit will produce the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this. So here's the contrast. There's 15 things that are the deeds of the flesh. There's nine things that are the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now for those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. You have crucified these things. And so when you have cultivated, when you have rendered these things extinct, when you've taken these out of your life, it now lets the spirit of God cultivate in you fruit that brings forth love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control how are we doing in that how are we doing how do you do that world war ii um, the ten boom family in harlem holland was housing jewish people fleeing nazi persecution and uh, they hid hundreds and hundreds of them. One day they got caught, and Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy got sent off to Robinsbrook uh, concentration camp. Family was split up, and and uh, there Betsy died, and and uh, it was just absolutely horrendous. You know the stories of concentration camp. But after the war, Corey uh, went on a a preaching tour to preach forgiveness. And she tells the story of being in Munich one night preaching on forgiveness. And she said, at the end, there was a man that approached me. He came from the back of the room. And here's what she writes. The emotion came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past that man. Now here he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. I was a prison guard at Robinsbrook. Since war's end, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did. But I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? She wrote, I stood there with coldness and with the coldness clutching my heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You must supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. 
And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all of my heart, I forgive you. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That is the life that the world is dying to see. That is the life worthy of the name of Jesus. That is the reward for those who say, you are debtors, I am a debtor to God, and I will put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. And when I do, the Spirit comes in, and he gives me this life-giving, vigorating, rejuvenating water that comes out of me. And I put to death the deeds of the flesh, the enmities, the factions, the anger, the dissensions, all of these different things. I put it to death, and God enables me to respond in this fashion. And yes, brother and sister, you and I have that same spirit of God within us. So I've given you the hard news. I've given you the helpful news. Let me give you the happy news. Romans 8, 15. In Christ, debtors have become heirs. In Christ, debtors have become heirs. Romans 8, 15. You you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That term, Abba, Father, is an intimate. It is a term of endearment. It is a term of intimacy. We are free to call him daddy it is not a stoic oh father you know i had uh, laurie and i have four children when we were raising them now we've got six grandchildren on earth and two in heaven but the six that are being raised on earth we've trained our children uh, to to come up to us and you know what do you what do you do when you're training a child when you train a little child the first words that you want them to say it's a race between mom and dad right race between mom and dad is to get them to say what mama or dad dad right mommy or daddy mommy or daddy which is it going to be mommy or daddy why not train your child to say, Father? Come on, no baby's going to go, Father. We, we get to call him Father, but when the Spirit of God is within us, we get to call him Daddy. We get that term of endearment. Now, my little grandkids, you know, they get to call me Big Poppy. Nobody else calls me Big Poppy, but my grandkids, they call me Big Poppy. Hey, Big Poppy, you on the phone? Yeah, all right. You know why? Because it's an intimate term. And, and, and when they do that, when they say big poppy, man, I tell you, I do anything they want. You know, I'm there. Come on. Let me, you see this Abba Father, it is a God who says, I desire more than just a name relationship with you. I want an intimate relationship with you. Oh, daddy, call me daddy. But what about when I mess up? Well, the law condemns me, but the spirit bears witness and says, no, 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 no. You now and always are a child of God, and that produces intimacy. If you're not convinced, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. What proof do we have that we are not debtors to the flesh? We are sealed. The seal of ownership is the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this. He, God, has also put his seal on us and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And I will guarantee you, God never goes back on his guarantees. 
It is a 100% satisfaction guarantee. He has put his spirit in you and he has sealed you and he has guaranteed you. How long has he guaranteed you? Is it a one-year warranty, a two-year warranty? Let's look. Ephesians 1.13 says this. In him also when you hear, when you heard the word of truth and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of, an, of our inheritance. Get this. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When are we going to gain possession of our inheritance? We will gain possession of our inheritance when we die and go to heaven. That is when we are fully inherited. But until that time, we have a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is just, it's waiting for you in heaven. It is, but now you get life inside of you, abundant life, vigorous life, even though your body is decaying, you get life inside of you now. And I'm going to seal you until the day that either Jesus comes back or you go to be with him. We who were debtors are now sealed by the Holy Spirit and we are heirs. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We're not sub-heirs. We have the inheritance of God, not the inheritance of the things of God. He is our inheritance. It's not merely the blessings from God, but it is God himself. The Lord, Psalm 16, 5 says, the Lord is my portion. He is the portion of my inheritance. Lamentations 3, 24, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I have hope in him. Listen, brother and sister, when you are in Christ and you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the spirit of God works in you and seals you and God gives you himself. Everything that God is for Jesus, he is for us as his kids. The last portion of that verse talks about the involvement of suffering with Jesus. And the good news for me is is that I don't have to cover that today. Pastor John will get to that next week. So you'll have to come back next week to find out about that. But let me tell you, does that not sound like life that you want? A life that springs up within you and it creates eternal blessing here. And now you are sealed by the Spirit and you can walk in victory. So here's what I got. I want to call us to a point of action. I'm going to ask every one of us to stand if you would. If you're able, would you stand? Our worship team is going to come. And I'm just going to close with, with three calls to action real quickly. Number one, if you are outside of Christ... Would you receive him today? You may be here in this room. You may be watching online. If you are outside of Christ, if you, if you identify with that withering and that dying and you realize that the words that have been spoken today are true and you need to receive Jesus today, I encourage you, I implore you, today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Jesus Christ and enjoy life, that abundant life now and eternally. Second thing. If you're a Christian, would you please please take a moment and evaluate your life? Are you actively putting to death? Are you rendering extinct the deeds of the flesh? And I'm not just talking about the biggies. Let's let's dig down. Go back to that Galatians 5, uh, 19 list and go back and say, Lord, how am I doing in those things? Take a very, very good look and then say, God, reveal. As you reveal, I will trust you by the power of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The third thing, call to action would simply be this. Christian, are you rejoicing in the fact that you, a debtor, are now a joint heir with Jesus? Man, that ought to produce such, just such a great welling up of joy and happiness and just such a wonderful, wonderful understanding. You were a debtor and now you're an heir. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much 
that we can open your word and you can speak to us. And I pray that the words that have been spoken today would find lodging of the hearts who hear. Lord, convince those who are outside of Christ that this is the only way to have true life now and in eternity. Lord, convince us that when we uh, die to our flesh, that the life that is born in us is life that is not only beneficial for us, but it is attractive to a world that is dying without it. And Lord, make us eternally grateful for the fact that we, the debtors, have become heirs. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's worship.